of interviews with experts on the topics you're curious about and stories of extraordinary people who are changing the world. My name is Kendall Ann Combs. I am your host. Thank you so much for listening today. On this episode, I chat with Dr. Tiffany Malachi about toxic positivity. She defines it for us, tells us all about how it can actually make you physically sick and be really messing up your interpersonal relationships. So coming right up. Dr. Tiffany Malachi. All right, today on the show, I have Dr. Tiffany Malachi. Hi, Dr. Malachi. Hi, Kendall. How are you? I am fabulous. Thank you so much for being on the show today. Thank you so much for having me. So, you wrote a phenomenal. Um, article about something that's really been bubbling up recently, um, and it's toxic positivity. So before we jump into what toxic positivity is, can you tell us a little bit about yourself? Um, Since you're a doctor, hey girl, (laughs) Uh, talk to us a little bit about all of that. Sure, sure. So um, I'm actually a special education teacher, and I've been teaching special education for probably 14 years now. And um, I also started teaching at the collegiate level as a, a professor for University of the People. And about three or four years ago, I decided to pursue a uh, a a doctorate. And I decided to go into a doctorate of psychology just because psychology had always interested me. And I've been doing a lot of work with students with behaviors. So I thought that would be super relevant and also um, just give me an opportunity to go a different direction if I decided to. Wow. Well, as a former educator, Thank you so much for all that you do. <laughs> and, and that's really awesome, you know, that you have your two passions of teaching and psychology, the way that you've been able to kind of merge them into one. That is phenomenal. Yes, it's been very helpful in the classroom for sure. Oh, I bet. <laughs> I taught middle school and I'll tell you, um, having a doctorate in psychology would have been very helpful for me as well. Oh, absolutely. That's a tricky age. It is. All right. So today we're going to talk about um, toxic positivity. And it's such a funny thing because just the word positivity, we, we don't associate that it could ever be toxic, but it actually can be. So can you define for us what in the world is toxic positivity? Of course. So you're absolutely right. It does certainly sound like an oxymoron, Mm -hmm. Um, but toxic positivity positivity (laughs) is believing and acting as though someone should have a positive mindset and positive emotions and thoughts at all times. So, so Cal Trudell and Babb describe it as rejecting, denying, or displacing the acknowledgement of stress, negativity, and possible disabling features of trauma. So Said another way, toxic positivity is the constant encouragement and excessive tendency to only see the good side without really understanding the emotion that accompanies an experience. Okay, so it's kind of like the failure to even 
acknowledge that anything could be negative, that you're, there's only room for positivity. There's no room for any kind of negative associated with any experience. Am I kind of right? Absolutely. Yeah, that's exactly what it is. Oh, that sounds horrible. <laughs> so, could, you, could you give us a couple examples of where we might see toxic positivity in our everyday lives? Absolutely. So have you ever been in a really challenging situation and you vent to a friend or coworker and they tell you, just be positive or yes. things could be worse? Yes. That's so irritating. <laughs> I was just going to ask. It was probably irritating, right? Of course yes. it was because that individual didn't acknowledge your feelings at that point in time. And anytime that someone just glazes over your emotions, it causes the communication to be toxic. So another example might be um, if an abuse victim confides with you or a family member that the physical and mental abuse that they are enduring is is happening and you or the family member might respond, well, you should be grateful for what you have. You know, you have a husband who takes care of you financially. Mm. Not good, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. Encouraging a victim of abuse to experience gratitude devalues their cry for help. Okay. So in, in that particular situation, it's, it's almost, it kind of feels like a little bit like gaslighting. Absolutely. Like not allowing someone to have their own experience. You're, you're kind of trying to like strip away any of the negative from it. Right. Yeah. And it's super dangerous for that individual because they're not viewing their abuse as consequential when really they could be in a really, really dangerous situation. And it could be life-threatening if they don't acknowledge that abuse. Okay. That, that's, a, that's an important one. Um, so when, if someone comes to us and is saying, you know, talking about any kind of abuse that they're suffering, for what's important for us to do as someone who's being confided in is to not kind of wash over what their experience is, almost to kind of like cheer them up. We need to like really listen to what they're saying and hold space for them to have negative reactions for the things that they're experiencing in life. Is that kind of right? Exactly. That's exactly right. Yeah. Um, And as a more lighthearted example, if your friend approaches you with a visibly broken arm, like their arm bone is sticking out of their skin and they express their pain to you, you respond instead of driving him or her to the hospital, just think happy thoughts. (laughs) No, that's not good. Okay. So that's another great example. And that's really concrete. We can kind of see that about, it's, it's sort of like maybe the person is falling into a trap of like trying to comfort their friend but they're endangering their friend at the same time. Is that, am I on the right path there? You are absolutely on the right path. Yep. And sometimes people just, they don't know what to say. So they might try to say something to cheer them up when really you, you need to introduce a little bit of negativity and just acknowledge that emotion despite mm-hmm. how uncomfortable it might be. Mm-hmm. It's interesting too, that you said before about, toxic positivity that someone might just say like, oh, well, be grateful for whatever kind of like 
silver lining there is. Um, Because I was thinking about that during the winter um, with COVID and everything. And I was feeling very lonely, (laughs) Um, to be honest. I I just live with my, my perfect dog, Rocco. But I was feeling lonely and I found myself like toxic positivitying me <laughs> and being like, oh, some people have it way worse than you in this situation, Kendall Ann. And so I, I get that about like, I was even trying to find the silver lining with myself to tell myself like, oh, just be grateful. But by doing that, I was also kind of pushing off my real experience that I was having. It sure does sound that way. Yeah. And I think we need to, need to be mindful of the toxically positive phrases we might be using with ourselves, not only with others. Mm, that's a really good point. Okay. So you, there is a study that you talk about in your article, which I thought was absolutely fascinating. Um, and it discussed what happened to people's bodies, like their physical selves, when they were asked to suppress, quote unquote, negative emotions? So what happened to those people when, that, when they had to do that? So there was a study by Campbell, Sills, Barlow, Brown, and Hoffman, and they asked the 60 individuals to watch an emotion provoking film. Half of the individuals were allowed to express those emotions and the other half were asked to suppress the emotions. Now, both sets of individuals had um, like an increased heart rate and they showed physiological signs of distress during that film. However, after the film, the individuals that suppressed their emotions, they had the increased rate whereas the ones that didn't suppress their emotions, they were back down to an even keel where their heart rate was back at normal. That is fascinating. It is, yeah. So yeah. even even after the experience of having the negative emotion was over, kind of, it was the people who were able to experience that emotion that were then able to kind of like rubber band snap back to normal while the people who weren't able to express that, you know, negative emotion, those people were still physically feeling the effects of the negative emotion. Is that, am I on the right track? Absolutely. Yeah. And there's a lot of studies out there that show that um, there is higher levels of negative affect, lower levels of positive affect, poor social adjustment, and an overall decreased well-being in people who repeatedly suppress their emotions. Wow. Yeah. Um, One interesting study that I found was um, for all your mothers out there that are listeners, parenting can be difficult enough and suppressing negative emotions can result in obstruction in effective parenting. And in some cases, an increased likelihood of physical violence, according to Lee Impet. And I'm not saying go ahead and scream at your child if they're acting out. But what I am saying is that it's important to identify the emotion and find an effective way to regulate that emotion. Okay, so I I can kind of see that. So maybe for the 100th time you've had to tell your child like, hey, don't put your tennis shoes on the stairs to (laughs) for the next time you take them up, like actually just walk your tennis shoes up. And if you're feeling very frustrated about that as a parent, 
because you're having to tell them time and time and time and time again. And that this is, of course, definitely not from my personal recollection as a child of <laughs> knowing I was really irritating my mom by doing that. But had my mom not been able to feel that she was allowed to be frustrated with me, it probably she probably would have, you know, maybe yelled at me for something smaller because she was just having a general frustration. Absolutely. Yeah. It's the typical bottling up your emotions and then it just might explode later on. Okay. So, so now I'm trying to synthesize this information. So what I'm getting is, okay, if we are not allowing ourselves to feel the negative emotions that we're naturally experiencing, physically, it's hurting us, just our physical well-being. And it's going to hurt our interpersonal relationships with other people as well, whether it's our children or our parents or our friends, or is, is that a kind of a good generalization? Absolutely. That's an excellent th- synthesis. Thank you. <laughs> I'm, I'm putting on, I'm trying to put on my smart hat since you're, uh, <laughs> since I'm on the phone with a PhD. Oh, geez. <laughs> so one thing that you say in, giving advice to people about how to avoid toxic positivity is you say that a really good way to avoid it is to practice empathy. So what is empathy and why would that help us not be toxically positive? I don't know how you say that. Sounds about right. So empathy, as we know it, is the ability to understand and share the feelings of another person. It's much more than sympathy, which is just feeling sorrow for someone else's situation. So many of us have maybe even seen the cartoon or the meme of the person down in the hole. The sympathetic person is calling down to the person in the hole saying, I'm sorry you're down there. And the empathetic person is right down there in the hole with the person saying, I know how it feels to be in this hole. Oh, okay. So both are acknowledging the person in the hole's feelings. However, the empathy takes this acknowledgement just a bit further. Okay. That makes sense. Sometimes it helps to make that connection with someone and to let them know that you've experienced something or felt something similar. Mm Mm-hmm. But on the other hand, we have to be careful not to compare situations or downplay the other individual's emotions. So, for example, it wouldn't be productive to say, oh, you know, I was robbed and assaulted and I just got over it. Mm. Um, I had also had something way worse happen to me. So comparisons aren't very productive. Okay, so if we're going to be being empathetic to our friends or people that we're in relationships with, we should be sure that we're not kind of trying to like one up (laughs) the negative experiences that they're coming to us to talk about. Absolutely. Okay. So empathy can kind of go a little too far (laughs) in some ways if you're making it a comparison. Yeah, that's an excellent point. Okay. Awesome. So now that we're going to be empathetic when someone is experiencing a negative emotion, how is that helping us to not insert toxic positivity? I would say just sort of reading the person and not not comparison, not trying to one-up like you mentioned. And it's also about kind of not not saying like, like 
you don't need your experience validated by someone, right? But it is nice that you're allowed to express something and then have someone say, yeah, like, I get it. I understand that. And not try to talk you out of your experience. Uh, Absolutely. Yeah. Validating your experience. That's important. Like you mentioned, and just meeting someone where they, they are and not trying to glaze over their emotions. Perfect. So you even include this really cool chart in your article where you have, you give examples of toxic phrases and you say, try to use this phrase instead, and then even follow up with another phrase. So I really like this because I think that I'm pretty good at uh, not saying the toxic positive phrase, um, but I love the following up with another question or another statement. So one of the, the great ones I was like, oh, this is so good, is one of the toxic phrases that sometimes people use is look on the bright side. So what can we what can we say instead of telling someone to look on the bright side? We could say a few things like, I know this is hard. Mm-hmm. I'm sorry you're going through this. I'm not sure what to say. Um, that's rough. I can understand why you'd feel that way or that sounds difficult or how are you? Mm-hmm. Um, but the, the chart that you're referring to is helpful truly because we may just not know what to say in that moment. And honestly, there might not be anything that we can say that will really help turn around that individual's misfortune. Mm-hmm. But using yeah. the chart that you're referring to will help you refrain from using that toxic phrase like look on the bright side, good vibes only, be positive. Although we might be well-meaning with those phrases, they might not have the effect that you intend. And they may actually cause harm. The empathetic phrases such as that sounds difficult, I can understand why you feel this way. Um, They could be said instead of those toxic phrases as you mentioned. And then to follow up and offer help, you could say, I want to help or how are you really? I want you to feel that you can be honest with me and I want you to know that I can help. Mm -hmm. Um, I think it's important to note that your actions after the exchange are critical for prioritizing the relationship. Okay. Just following up a few days later to ask how that person is or if the person would like to sit down for coffee and chat, they would be good ways to solidify to the person that you are, you're really there for them. You're not just in passing, you know, hope you're doing okay, but Mm -hmm. just that you're really there for that friend or relative. And one thing that I absolutely love that you included is it's okay to say to someone, I'm not sure what to say. That's, that's, you know, better than saying like, be positive. (laughs) Yes. But but sometimes, I mean, definitely people come to you and they are expressing a negative emotion and you're not really sure what you should say. And it's okay to say, you know, I don't really know what to say. I, I, I don't know the best way to help here. That's, I love it. I think it's critical that, that you make that point of that. It's okay to say, you know, I, I wish I knew what to say, or I'm not sure what to tell you. That, though, that's better than just kind of being a brick wall to someone. Yes, good point. And another thing I really love that I've been trying to use um, in the follow-ups is saying things like, what can I do to help? Or um, what, you know, 
how can I help you? How can I best support you? That those, that, I love that because I think that sometimes we assume we know what our friends or our family need and, and we don't know that. So we should ask. Absolutely. And I really appreciate the way you're asking the, what can I do to help or how can I help instead of just let me know if you need help. Because how many times have you thrown that out there and that person never really reaches out? Just presenting them with that question, what can I do? Kind of not puts a little bit more pressure, but it kind of elicits more of a response than, hey, let me know if you need anything. You know what? I I really like that because it's it's almost like you're asking them to kind of like give you a little of the burden almost like let let like how can I help you what can I do right now instead of even like the way you say it like like um let me know if I can help like you know like those are just like two very different ideas and a, a different feeling that's involved with them saying you know how can I support you is so different than let me know. Bye. <laughs> um, it, it, those are very different. I love that. I love this chart. I'm going to just print this little chart out and carry it around with me everywhere. Well. I guess. <laughs> <laughs> so let's say people aren't following the chart and um, they are, they continually respond in this toxic, positive manner. What happens in those relationships? This is a great question. So a few things might happen if a person is perpetually responding with toxic positivity. One, the person on the receiving end may like what she hears and agrees with the person and go about her day. She might continue to seek the advice of that overly positive person with that rosy scene that person paints. But that scene might not be all that rosy. She might face struggles down the road because she can't confront the actual problem. Mm-hmm. Or two, the person will feel invalidated by that toxic phrase and get the impression that the friend isn't really interested in helping or maybe she just doesn't really understand. Mm -hmm. The person receiving the toxic positivity might pull back from that friend who may actually have good intentions. Um, One important note is that friendships are actually built and strengthened by sharing vulnerable moments. So when we um, take the time to divulge these feelings, but we must also honor the feelings if we are the ones they are being shared with. Oh, that's really a great point. Because if someone is telling you something that they're experiencing that's negative, that's them kind of opening themselves up to you and being vulnerable. And it's important for you as their friend to be like a soft place for them to land and and so that they can trust you to tell for them to tell you more things like that. But if we are responding in this like, be happy way, then of course our friend isn't going to be telling us when there's something wrong. Right, right. And you might miss that moment for your friendship to grow or your relationship to grow because you're just glazing over it. Mm, that's, a, that's really good advice. So speaking of advice, you, there are many books about toxic positivity, which I was shocked <laughs> at when I read your article. I was like, wow, there's a bunch of books on this. So can you kind of take us through some of your favorite books about toxic positivity and maybe give us like one nugget of wisdom that the books have? Sure. Toxic Positivity by Theo Tucker 
analyzes the five phrases that seem harmless, but are actually pretty toxic. Um, and then he also offers alternative statements what are, which are helpful. Mm -hmm. Tucker opens with a really powerful story of when he encountered a visibly upset man who had just ended a phone call from a payphone at his church. Mm -hmm. And Tucker was on his way to conduct a Bible study and he asked if the man was okay and the man responded, no, I'm not okay. Um, being in a rush, he decided to um, elicit the help of an elder who was nearby. Now he could have said, oh, it'll be okay or just think positive. But uh -huh. instead, he got the help of that elder. And this act could have very well saved this man's life because the man from the payphone confided in the elder and Tucker that he had, in fact, planned to take his life. So had oh. Tucker just threw out, it'll be okay, just be positive, that could have ended in a very different way. Wow. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. <clears throat> that's huge. That, that's a very powerful example. Sure. Wright cited How Positive Thinking is Undermining America by Barbara Ehrenrich. She explains how the detriments of being perpetually optimistic are really hurting our society. She explains the importance of preparing ourselves for life's challenges, and she uses her own experience of reckless optimistic statements that the people would make when she learned of her can cancer diagnosis. Oh, oh, that sounds really interesting. Okay. Emotional Agility by Susan David is also an excellent one. Um, this is a good resource to learn how to turn negative emotional experiences into success. This is what she refers to as emotional agility. And she credits accepting difficult emotions to being able to master challenges. Okay. All right. So that book is more about like that you're having this natural emotion. How can you use them to get stronger <laughs> to, to be more um, happy. Absolutely. Yeah. Great. Um, another one of my favorites was manage my emotions. What I'd wish I'd learned in school about anger, fear, and love by Dr. Kenneth Martz. And um, this helps you accept and really understand emotions. And right now there's a huge push in schools today for social emotional learning because we're really seeing the importance of teaching these life skills. Um, if you're an adult today, there's a strong likelihood that you were never explicitly taught these schools, uh, skills. <laughs> this book provides various exercises, tools, mantras, and real-life situations to truly understand and cope the emotions that you experience. Okay. This book is so crucial to leading a healthy emotional life that Dr. Martz has developed a book for children Mm -hmm. And um, we're actually collaborating on an adolescent version of this book right now, which is exciting. Awesome. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, definitely teenagers would need to learn how to manage their emotions. Yes, no question there. <laughs> awesome. That's so exciting. Good for you. It is. And um, <laughs> drkenmarts.com is a really good website that's full of valuable and free resources for meditation, emotions, and addictions that you might be interesting to check out and, you know, see when that adolescent version is available. Yes. Oh, don't worry. We'll definitely be buying it. <laughs> <laughs> the last book I mentioned in the article is Be Positive, F Toxic Positivity by Brian Fleming. And they actually say the 
Yeah, the F word. I'm not sure if we're allowed to say it now. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. This is a, we are open on high heels and Hardy. Okay. okay. You say whatever word you need to say. <laughs> this book has daily affirmations that the reader can meditate and live by, and the mantras are meant to deter you from using those toxically positive phrases. Okay. That's, I really like these five books. Something that I really like that that you've compiled with these five books is that they seem to be things that we can put into our daily lives. Um, and it's not just kind of just a bunch of theories. It's, you know, things that we can actually be doing every day. Right. Right. Perfect. And not yeah. just, and not just be telling people good vibes only. <laughs> We're actually going to make some, some, some good headway into how to be more supportive of ourselves and of our uh, family and friends. Right. Okay. So we kind of touched on this, but why is negativity necessary? So negativity is essential for personal growth. If you aren't aware of what you can improve upon, then you don't have the opportunity to better yourself, whether that be in your personal or professional capacity. Um, a growth mindset is a hot topic right now, and actually an upcoming article that I'll be writing on positivepsychology.com. Um, growth mindset was introduced by Carol Dweck, and it's a central tenant, um, a, a central tenant of this theory says about the brain's plasticity, meaning we have the ability to change our brains through memory and learning. And I think the best way to explain this concept is the power of yet. For example, saying, I can't, run a I can't run a marathon, you should instead say, I can, can't run a marathon yet. Oh, I love that. <laughs> Following up, but if I train, I could run the marathon. That's important too. Okay, so that, that's a really good blend, right? Because we're saying, we're not like, who, who's that character on Winnie the Pooh? Oh, Eeyore. Yes. <laughs> yes. They're not like all down the dumps negative, but we're still saying this is something that I can't do yet. But we're we're putting a positive spin on it because we're sort of making a plan in order to overcome the negative feeling or experience that we're having. Right, right. And you're giving yourself that grace saying, if you learn this, or if you practice this, you will be able to do it. You just can't mm -hmm. do it yet. Mm -hmm. Another example might be, I can't remodel a house yet, but after learning how to do maybe demolition, installing fixtures, painting, replacing flooring, you can remodel a house. You just need to learn those skills first. I love that. that. That's a really good example. Even though I watch so much HGTV, I think like that I might be able to do it. <laughs> <laughs> I know you can. <laughs> Thank you. Um, and in your article, something that I, I love as a former educator, and I think that this is really, really good, is you say, during parent-teacher conferences, the teacher must remain honest while tactfully sharing constructive feedback about the student. Toxic positivity shared during a parent-teacher conference could lead to future problems if the parent only finds out that their child is failing after the school year is over. I think that that is such a great example 
of why it's important that we do sometimes talk about, you know, negative things. Absolutely. Yeah. It's, it's uncomfortable to talk about those things, especially during parent teacher conferences, but you have to remember to do that layering technique, start with the positive and then maybe something that's um, a concern or something where the student can grow in and then also add in a positive at the end. So including that sandwiching technique that will help soften the blow, so to speak. Mm -hmm. I really like to like, what I'm hearing is it from you is when we, if we are suppressing these negative emotions, it's hurting us. It's hurting our bodies. It's hurting our interpersonal relationships, but it's also kind of stifling our ability to grow. Absolutely. Yep. Wonderful. Okay. So being negative can sometimes be positive. (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely. Yes. (laughs) Wonderful. So, um, We've talked about so much about toxic positivity, and I feel like you've you've really taught me a lot. Um, Is there anything that you could, if you would just give us like one little like nugget more that we could just hold on to about toxic positivity, what would it be? Um, I think the importance, I think you hit the nail on the head when you noted the importance of negative feedback and how it can help us grow. Um, we have a choice when we receive that negative feedback. You can either dwell on it, wallow in our sorrows, or we can use it to make ourselves better. Um, for example, let's say a coworker comes to you after she absolutely bombs a presentation. You have two choices. You could tell her what you think might make her feel better, like, oh, it wasn't so bad. No one even noticed. Or you could take this opportunity to legitimately help her and possibly strengthen your relationship with her by saying something like, yeah, I sensed you struggled and I know you presented well before. Is there something I can help you with? Or would you like to practice together next time? Instead of taking that easier route of toxic positivity, you chose to invest in that potential friendship. That's great advice. Hearing only the positive will not give you an accurate reading of how well you're actually doing. And it's going to eliminate that potential for Mm self-improvement. And another thing kind of while we're we're talking about self-improvement, when you just gave the example about a coworker, it's kind of easier to be more cowardly and tell the person like, oh my God, no, it was great. No problem. Um, Then just sort of step up for your coworker and help. But not being a toxic positivity person really does help you grow as well. You learn to sort of face fears and strengthen relationships. Right, right. And it is so much easier to resort to that toxic positivity, isn't it? I that, now that we're talking about it, like it sort of feels lazy. <laughs> <laughs> like just to be like, oh, don't worry about it. It could be worse. Like that feels so much lazier than to say, to someone like, yeah, that is really difficult. That must be really hard. Like that, it, it, I, I just, I love the idea of being more supportive to ourselves and the people that we are having interactions with. So when you're not wowing us with all of your knowledge about toxic positivity, when you're not teaching children or, and teaching college, um, you're also writing really cool articles Um, And so can you just tell us a little bit about some of your work that you're um, that you're researching right now? 
Absolutely. Yeah, these are some I'm really excited about. Um, applying social learning theory and social work and education that should be coming out um, probably next week or within the next two weeks. And then I'll also be working on how to promote cognitive development. Oh, classical conditioning, learning theory, teacher burnout, oh. how to nurture a growth mindset. Uh huh. And then we also have that teen version of the um, what I wish I'd learned in school about anger, fear and love. Wow, you are a busy, busy person. Oh, I try to keep <laughs> And when we jumped on the when we jumped on the Zoom, you even said like, "Oh, I just ran six miles." Like, <laughs> you're you're killing it out here. Oh, I appreciate that. It's not like that on all do all days. Let me reassure you. <laughs> well, thank you so much for taking the time to chat with us. Um, I have learned just so much, and I really feel like you know when we're talking about the growth mindset. This is an easy place to really show a lot of personal growth and, you know, be able to strengthen all of our relationships through it. Yes. Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. And I really enjoyed our conversation. Yeah. Come on back to, to talk to us about anything else that you're working on since you're always busy. <laughs> oh, I would love to. <laughs> all right. Have a good day. Thank you. You too. Bye. once again to Dr. Tiffany Malachi for stopping by to teach us all about toxic positivity. If you're interested in reading Dr. Malachi's article, please check the show notes where I've provided a link. If you are in an unhealthy or unsafe relationship, there is help available. Please call the National Domestic Violence Hotline. That number is 1-800-799-7200. Again, the number for the National Domestic Violence Hotline is 1-800-799-7200.